This episode of Monsters is sponsored by Monsters. We've put out some new merch that you can find by going to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash this dash is dash monsters. That's teespring, T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G dot com. Thanks so much for your support. Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to support the show, the easiest way is to donate a few bucks at buymeacoffee.com forward slash monsters. There's more info about supporting us at our website, thisismonsters.com forward slash support. This podcast is also available on YouTube, where it's accompanied by pictures and video. There are also more videos than what's just in the podcast. You can find the channel by going to YouTube and searching This Is Monsters. William Riley Gall had dated Emma Walker off and on for about two years. They were both students at the same high school, but after Gall graduated and went to college, Emma decided it was time to move on. Instead of respecting the young girl's decision, Gall decided that he was going to show her what a mistake that really was. This is Monsters. William Riley Gall, who went by Riley, was a wide receiver for the Central High School football team in Knoxville, Tennessee. His friends described him as not the classic jock type. He was a Star Wars nerd, he liked playing video games, and was one of the top students in his school. It was at one of those football games that he met Emma Walker. She was the only junior at the school to make it onto the cheerleading squad, and her dynamic school spirit made her hard not to notice. Walker had grown up in Tennessee and had two passions in her life, helping animals and helping people. Her family described her as the type of person who didn't care about being in any group. She was friends with everybody. As she began her high school career, she started thinking about a career as a neonatal intensive care nurse or a veterinarian. Her mother said she could be stubborn and sassy. The teenage couple started off as your average high school sweethearts. The Walkers described Gall as a well-mannered, polite young man. The couple would spend time together at her house or after football games. Their social media account started filling up with pictures of them together. Photos of the pair paddleboarding, at school dances, at sporting events, and taking silly selfies were all flying onto their accounts. Walker's friends said he didn't really talk to them much, but they just figured that he was shy. Eventually, it became apparent that that was not the case. Friends began noticing that Gall was becoming increasingly possessive. He didn't want her to hang out with her friends and told her to not do certain things. It remained this way for the course of their relationship. They would break up and make up, which can be common in high school relationships. Eventually, his controlling behavior intensified to him trying to tell her what she could wear, Emma worked part-time at a local grocery store, and Gall would show up at her work and would spend hours outside waiting for her shift to end. Walker's parents decided that they had had enough and tried to put an end to the relationship. They banned Gall from coming over to their house, but Emma would sneak out to see him. They took away her cell phone, but Gall bought her an iPod Touch, which she used to text over Wi-Fi. The relationship had become very abusive, with Gall sending Emma messages on the social media app Snapchat saying, quote, 
I hate you, I hate everything about you, end quote, and, quote, you're the biggest bitch I've ever come in contact with, end quote. Emma's mother, Jill Walker, had access to her daughter's Snapchat account, and she saw all of the messages. One message said, quote, I'll see your name in the obituary, end quote, which greatly concerned her parents. Jill Walker testifies in court about her concerns over the relationship. Or rather, his graduation in that summer, um, had you been regular about checking texts and communication? Yes. And did you become concerned about those types of things? Yes. Tell us why. Um, just some of the language and the way that she was spoken to, we didn't feel that was appropriate okay. to speak anyone like that. And did you address those concerns with Riley? Yes. And how was his attitude towards that? I wanted to talk to him and then he would explain he was angry and, um, and try to defend himself against it. Okay. And was he respectful to you? Um, face to face. He was respectful to us. Okay, but you, would you see something else on the phone? On phones, it was um, just angry if he would say no or not let her do something. Okay. Um, I felt like some things were not, he didn't respect us as parents when we said no and then no. Okay, and so what did you do as a result to try and parent your child uh, with regard to her relationship with Riley Hall? Um, we tried to discourage her from, from seeing him. Um, sometimes you have to give and take a little bit. So we would set limits on how and they could see each other. Gall was two years older than Walker, and he eventually graduated from high school and started attending Maryville College in Maryville, Tennessee, about 30 minutes south of Knoxville. Emma started seeing pictures on social media where Gall was with other girls, and she realized it was time to end the relationship. Gall did not take the breakup well. In his dorm room at Maryville College, he swallowed a handful of Vicodin and washed it down with alcohol. It didn't kill him, and his friends saw it as a cry for help. Gall would continually send text messages to Walker, threatening to kill himself, but the threats weren't helping win her back, so he moved to a new tactic. Gall started setting up scenarios where he would be a hero to Walker and win her back that way. On November 18th, the Central High School football team won their game and students were at a party celebrating. Emma started receiving text messages from an unknown number that claimed they, quote, had someone she loved, end quote. As she received more messages, she showed them to a friend, Zach Green. They read, quote, come outside alone if you don't want to see a loved one get hurt, end quote. And, quote, go to your car with your keys, go alone. I've got someone you love. If you don't comply, I will hurt them. End quote. The messages escalated. One said, quote, If you'd like to hear his cry and screams, give him a call. End quote. Finally, a message came into her phone that said they had dropped Gall outside of the house. When Walker and Green went outside, they found Gall lying in the bushes and he claimed to not know what happened or how he got there. He was rubbing his head and acting confused. Emma told him to go away and went back inside. Gall then called his friends Noah Walton and Isaac Ewers and claimed that he had been kidnapped, but they didn't believe him. Gall's best friend, Isaac Ewers, testified about the night that Gall claimed to be kidnapped. Uh, do you receive information or do you get a call, you folks get a call from Riley? Yes, sir. And what was the nature of the call? What was he saying? 
Um, it was very scattered, very hectic. Um, there wasn't a lot of information. We just called essentially saying that he had been kidnapped. He had no idea where he was at. He didn't know what he was going to do. He dropped the name Tazewell Pike in the call. Okay. And did you guys ask him to geolocate him or? Yes. Yeah. We we said where are you at? We'll, we'll come and get you. It doesn't matter. You know. Um, we wanted to believe the video essentially. We we knew that this was not really a kidnapping, but. You were going along with it? No, sir. Uh, we told Riley that we were going to drive up and down the bike until we were in the bike. Because we knew it wasn't. But he was insisting that it was true? Up until the point we told him that we were going to drive up and down the bike, at which point he went up the Okay. He says that they got a call from Gall claiming that he had been kidnapped, but they knew that he was lying. They agreed to come drive up and down the streets in the area he was to help find him. The prosecutor asks him what happened next. And so what did you do? Uh, we put on our shoes and within 10 minutes we were driving down the road and that's when Riley pulled up in his car. Less than 10 minutes. I mean, it was, it's, we hung up the phone, put on shoes, walked downstairs, got in the car and Riley pulled up. Okay. So he's coming from, is he coming from the direction of Tassel Pike? Uh, no, no streets uh, as a dead end, so I can't say he's from the front. Okay. Yes. All right, so you're on this. You're on your way to Castle Pike. He shows up there in his car? In his car, yeah. We, we were not even five feet from Noah's driveway. We hadn't even made it fully out of the driveway. I'm sure the back of the car was still in the driveway as Riley pulled up. Okay. And so who's in your car, in the car with you? Uh, I was in the shotgun, no was driver, and Kimba was in the backseat. All right, and so when Riley pulls up, do you, do you guys abandon your, obviously, your search for him, right? Yeah, at first we were shocked because we just heard that he had been kidnapped less than 10 minutes ago, he didn't know where he was at, and suddenly he pulls up in a car saying, oh, my head hurts, I'll explain everything when we get inside, let's just go inside, let's go inside, and we insist, no, we can talk right here, we, if, you, if you're in danger, we need to go and you know, get help, talk to the police, whoever we need to talk to, to make sure these people don't pursue you. Okay, and what ha what happens when you get inside? Um, Riley proceeds to tell us that he doesn't remember anything, and that he was hit over the head, and he asked us to feel this knot on his head. Okay, does he tell you where he got kidnapped? No, sir. Does he tell you who he got kidnapped by? No, sir. Does he tell you any details of the kidnapping? No. Does he tell you that he'd been to see Emma? No, sir. Does he give you any information about this kid? No, sir. Other than he was kidnapped. No. Ewers says that they had barely made it out of the driveway before Gall pulled up in his car. He encouraged them to all go inside so he could explain, but never really gave them any answers. During the trial, Knox County Sheriff's Detective Richard Merritt testified that he had run a search for the number that had texted Walker, claiming to be the kidnapper. It was the same number that Gall used to call Noah Walton. And the end user of that number, in fact, was a company uh, called the Apps Verse, uh, which has an app that you can download on your smartphone. Uh, it's called Phoner, P-H-O-N-E-R. Okay. And uh, did you also determine whether or not that same phone number, excuse <coughs> me, or same app had also called Noah Walton's phone? Yes, sir. 
the number came back to a company called Appsverse, which makes a smartphone app called Phoner. This app is used to be able to place a call or text from a different phone number. Upon checking the download history on Gall's phone, Detective Merritt found that Gall had downloaded the Phoner app onto his phone. The following morning, Emma was home alone when a person dressed in all black walked down their street and then came to their front door and started knocking. In a panic, she sent a text message to Gall that read, quote, I hate you, but I need you right now, end quote. The ex-boyfriend arrived at her house shortly after to check on her. Jill arrived home while Gall was still there, and she was furious, but Emma explained what had happened and that he was only there to help. Jill knew that the boy was involved in both this event and the kidnapping story as a means of getting close to Emma, but she couldn't convince her daughter. The next day, November 20th, 2016, Gall tried to contact Emma over 60 times over text messages, but she wouldn't talk to him. Emma went to bed shortly after midnight. At about 3.45 a.m., Emma's father, Mark Walker, was awoken by a loud sound. He sat up in bed and heard it again. He thought it sounded like someone slamming a door, so he got up and walked around the house, checking on everyone in the home. When he didn't find anything out of the ordinary, he went back to bed. When Jill Walker tried to get her daughter up the following morning, the girl wouldn't wake up. Jill shook her leg, and when Emma didn't respond, she checked for a pulse, but didn't find one. She made a frantic call to 911. When paramedics arrived on the scene, they initially thought that the young girl had tried to commit suicide by ingesting drugs. Makes sense. A teen girl going through a particularly difficult breakup, it's easy to see how first responders could make that assumption. The biggest reason for that assumption was also because there were no apparent signs of violence on the body. She was laying in bed under her covers like she had just laid down and went to sleep. It wasn't until they took a closer look at Emma's body that they found a small bullet hole in the left side of her head, just behind her ear. One of her pillows had also displayed visible damage. When detectives arrived, they found two bullet holes in the exterior walls of Emma's bedroom. Her bedroom was on the back corner of the house, and there was a bullet hole in the back wall and a second one in the side wall. Both holes lined up with where the young girl's head would be as she was lying in bed. It turned out that the second bullet had lodged itself in one of her pillows. Detective Richard Merritt describes his findings. So I'm now looking at the back of the house, the windows here in the bedroom, the end wall of the house and the corner of the house is one to be my right. Bullet hole roughly is the 11 slat of the final side. I noticed that based on my proximity to the bedroom, the room in the bed is elevated that the top of the mattress appears to be in line with the bottom of the window sill, which strikes me as an investigator because it's it's easier to determine the proximity of a person within the home if you can relate it to certain physical attributes or objects inside or outside of the residence. Um, so, can, can I step down and kind of explain how? 
Sure. Can we step down to the orientation of the yeah, yeah. hole on the outside of the building? Yeah, thank you for those explaining which you are there. Can everybody sit there, okay? So let's imagine, if we will, that this is the corner of the Walker residence at 6802 Carter. We're standing in the backyard, looking in the back of the residence, outside of Ben Walker's bedroom. There's going to be a window here to the left, which is almost on the opposing corner of her bedroom. <clears throat> I noticed from being in the residence, coming outside of the residence, that the top of the windowsill appears to be almost identical in height to the top of her mattress. So if I'm standing outside of the residence, and I look and I see this window, and I have intimate knowledge of the residence, in other words, I've been inside, which I have been, and so I'm able to stand outside and determine that the bottom of this windowsill is in line with the top of her mattress. If I also, in fact, have intimate knowledge that Emma Walker sleeps on pillows, actually three to be exact, then her head's going to be in an elevated position. Does everybody follow me on that so far? So, if in fact I am standing in the back of the residence, and I decide I want to shoot into this residence with the purpose of inflicting serious bodily injury, I would aim where the body is, which is exactly where the bullet hole is. That was the thing that struck me about the, the actual entrance of the bullet into the residence, <clears throat> is it was in a direct location or orientation where Emma Walker's head would be inside the residence. Again, based on intimate knowledge of the residence, where the pillows would allow her head to be. Two shell casings were found on the ground outside of the house, along with one live round. The first shell casing was found near the bullet hole on the back wall. Obviously, once I determined the, the hole in the exterior of the residence, I then began to look for any physical evidence on the ground, which in fact we did find one spent casing, meaning this round had been fired. So I found one spent casing in the backyard. So from that, and based on my experience as a detective and police officer firing weapons, uh, I know that if the, if the spent casing's here, if you will, then the shooter had somewhere in between that spent casing and back of the residence. Okay. And how many feet would you say that that would be away from the residence? Uh, roughly uh, four, four or five feet, if I remember correctly. It's been a little while. But in other words, the shooter would have been four or five feet from the back corner of the residence when they fired the round, causing the round to eject back into the right. The second bullet casing and the live round were found on the side of the house. Again, after I determined the second round entered the residence in this location, I started looking for physical evidence, at which time I find a live round. In other words, it's not been, it's not been fired. It's, it's live, it's old. And a second spent cartridge. So based on those locations, live round would have been more close to the residence, if I recall, and the spent casing would have been, again, back into the right, related to where the hole is in the wall. <clears throat> so therefore, again, I was able to determine roughly, approximately, where the person stood when they raised the weapon and fired into the house. Tennessee Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Forensic Scientist Jessica Hudson examined the firearm that was used in the murder and explains why there was a live round outside of the house with the shell casings. So the, the firearm, when it's 
loaded or um, after it cycles, it's going to look like this. There's a lot of steam going forward. It's going to lock and it's going to be ready to fire in June. The slide stop lever is actually on this side. And what that does is when I said the, the slide locks back on empty, that's the, the little lever that's going to pop up and make the slide save to the rear. When a magazine is not in this pistol, it's not supposed to do that unless you manually push that slide stop up. But with this one, because it's, there's a little spring that you can't see, but it's supposed to be underneath this top pin, and it's actually on top of the pin, so it, this wants to remain engaged. So if you can see it back and it won't go forward. But if you push that down, it'll go forward. So, with two of the magazines, it still functioned properly, but with one, it was still loaded with one round and the slide stayed back. And so would that cause an improper operation of the next round? It, it could possibly cause a, a double feed, but since there was only one left in the magazine, um, when I was firing it, it just, instead of the slide going forward, it kind of hung up on the back. Okay. Does what's that a, make sense? What's a double feed? Double feed is when it, Two cartridges try to get into the chamber. And what happens when you don't when a double feed? What actually happens to the cartridge that comes into the chamber, or comes up to to be placed in the chamber? It will. One of them will get kind of stuck right here, and you kind of you just have to or it'll rush the slide back and try to empty that out. Okay, and it'll fall out. Yes. A full live round. Yes. Trying to correct that problem that you're talking about. Right. Okay. This specific handgun had a defect that caused the slide to stay back even if the magazine wasn't empty. That caused a double feed, which means the user had to clear the extra live round before they were able to fire the gun again. The medical examiner explained exactly what killed Emma Walker. Uh, in this case, there was a entrance gunshot wound on the left side of the head, uh, just above the left ear. Uh, there was no clear exit, so it was just an entrance. On um, after that's been photographed, then we move to uh, opening the body, looking for natural disease, looking for the extent of the injury, uh, looking for any evidence that needs to be uh, packaged and given to law enforcement. And in this case, there was a bullet recovered from the head. In addition to that, there was a small plug of it looked like a synthetic fiber material that was in the head as well that had been carried in with the bullet. So the bullet had passed through some other object that had the spilling and it carried it in, into her head. Uh, there was severe injury to the brain and a fractured skull related to this gunshot wound. The bullet had entered Emma's head but didn't exit. That was most likely due to the fact that the bullet had to go through the wall of the house, slowing it down to the point that it didn't have enough speed to make it all the way through her skull. Having it go through the wall also would have deformed the bullet, making it a wider, more jagged projectile which causes much more damage on human tissue than an intact, still pointy bullet. The medical examiner says that it appeared that she was unconscious at the time of the shooting, as there was no sign that she had gotten up or moved around when she was shot. He also said he couldn't determine exactly how long it took her to die. Detective Merritt and his team started talking to the Walkers and Emma's friends, and the same name kept coming up over and over again. Riley Gall. 
they brought him in for an interview that evening. Gall's initial story to detectives was that he had talked to Emma at about midnight when she told him to stop calling her. He said that then he drove to his grandparents' house and back to his dorm. There, he sat in his car in his dorm parking lot for a few hours, crying and looking at photos. Then he said he went inside and went to sleep at about 4.45 a.m. The troubling part of the interview was the fact that he wouldn't use Emma's name. He referred to her as the girl. While describing what he had done in the time before Emma's death, he said, quote, The girl, she texted me, end quote. Detectives asked him which girl, and Gall responded, quote, The one that passed away, end quote. Only after the detectives specifically asked what her name was did he say Emma. Some of Gall's friends had told authorities that Gall had a gun. Alex McCarty told police that Gall had told him that he had stolen his grandfather's gun because he was so scared after the kidnapping attempt and even showed him the gun. Of course, the detectives asked him about the gun. He was adamant that he had never had a gun, even after they told him about McCarty's tip. Once Gall left the interrogation, he started texting McCarty, quote, Why did you tell the police about the gun? End quote. All of his friends were trying to encourage him to just turn over the weapon. They told him that if he didn't do it, it could very well prove that. Gall was not interested in their advice, though. Instead, he asked them to help him dispose of the gun. At the same time, Gall had taken to the internet to mourn the loss of his ex-girlfriend. He changed his Twitter bio to say, quote, Living every day through Emma Walker. I love you, beautiful, and I know you're in a better place now. End quote. He also posted, quote, there's not a human on earth that can make the impact that you have made on my life. I miss you more than anything. You'll weigh heavy on my mind for the rest of my life because no one can fill the void that's in my heart now. End quote. And, quote, to think that every memory we have, every happy special moment we shared, can't ever be relived. I love you, Emma Jane Walker. End quote. Gall had just shot his ex-girlfriend in the head and killed her and was posting all of these heartfelt messages about how much he loved her online. It's absolutely sickening. Gall's friends went to the police to inform them that Riley was trying to get their help to dispose of the gun. They agreed to wear wires and have a hidden camera set up so that they could catch Gall with the murder weapon. They were told about the dangers involved, but the young men insisted that they wanted to help with the investigation. On Tuesday night, the day after Emma was murdered, Gall met his friends at Noah Walton's house. While there, with audio and video being secretly recorded, Gall told his friends again that he had only taken his grandfather's gun because he was scared after being kidnapped. Then he asked them if they would come with him to dispose of the gun. But I'm trusting you guys, like, with my life, because, I mean, this is 70 years in jail if I get convicted of something I didn't do. Man... Yeah, I know it's terrifying. I know this. You guys don't have to come with me if you don't want to. 
didn't have the gun on him, so Noah and Alex get in the car with him and drive to Gall's stepfather's house, where they wait in the car while he retrieves the gun. He gets back in the car with a garbage bag in his hand and says that the gun is in the bag. Gall wanted to go to some nearby bluffs and throw the gun into the river. When they reached their destination, Alex pulled the car into the parking lot of a gated apartment complex. He had the code to the complex because he used to make deliveries there. Gall put on gloves and finally pulled the gun out of the garbage bag. Noah texted the detectives, but police weren't able to follow them into the gated community. It took a few minutes before they were able to get the gate open. A tense few minutes as Noah and Alex sat in the car with Gall, who had the murder weapon in his hand. Police were finally able to get through the gate, where they moved in and placed Riley Gall under arrest. Along with the gun, they found black clothes, shoes, gloves, and black duct tape inside the garbage bag, evidence that pointed to Gall also being the man in black clothing that scared Emma a few nights before she was killed. After being charged with the murder of Emma Walker, Gall changed his story and admitted to shooting the gun at the Walker house that night, but he claimed that he only did it to scare her. His defense was that her death was an accident while he was trying to set him up to be her hero. Like the incident with the man in black clothing, in Gall's mind, she would get scared and he would swoop in and rescue her. The prosecution didn't buy it. Detective Merritt had explained how both bullet holes lined up perfectly with where her head would be as she laid in bed. Gall claimed that he didn't even know that a bullet could go through the wall, but Detective Merritt explains why he doesn't believe that either. What is a, what is a wall bang? W-A-L-L-B-A-N-G. Uh, wall banging refers to it's, it's uh, common speak or, or you have to understand it inside the gaming realm. Uh, you have people have their own language and use terms and words to describe certain things. Wall banging refers to uh, in a first-person shooter uh, game, it refers to actually shooting through a wall to, in fact, kill the enemy or the adversary on the other side. You heard the testimony that Riley Gall's favorite game is Call of Duty, right? Yes, sir, that's correct. And it's the concept of wall banging done in Call of Duty. Yes, sir. There's a term in first-person shooter video games called wall banging. That's when you shoot through a wall in order to hit an opponent on the inside of the building. Gall's favorite video game was Call of Duty, where people carry out wall banging regularly as a fighting tactic. 
According to the prosecution, Gall would have had no problem believing that a bullet would go through a wall and injure somebody on the inside. William Riley Gall pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. It wasn't even about the overwhelming evidence against him that proved that he had shot Emma Walker. He admitted that he shot her. He was claiming that he was not guilty of first-degree murder because he had not intended to shoot her. On May 8, 2018, William Riley Gall was found guilty of first-degree murder, felony murder, theft, tampering with evidence, reckless endangerment, possession of a firearm during a dangerous felony, and stalking. During his sentencing, Gall made this statement. First and foremost, I would like to sincerely apologize to the Walker Captain for causing nothing but pain and turmoil to their entire family. My words may carry little to no value to you, but I found it imperative to let you know the truth. That I'm sorry I took him away from you. That I robbed you of the experience of being able to watch your daughter grow up. Again, I am sorry. I would also like to apologize to my family for the pain and embarrassment I put you through. I love you, and I hope that you can forgive me. I know that nothing I can do will ever bring Emma back or alleviate the pain that I caused. But what I can do is tell the truth of what happened that night. My intentions were not, and never have been, to cause Emma any physical harm. At times, I was a terrible boyfriend. I caused her emotional and psychological pain during the two years that we were together. But I never once even imagined to cause her any physical harm. My intentions that night were never to harm Emma, let alone take her life. I wanted to scare her, to frighten her so bad that she would have no choice but to talk to me again, to confide in me. I would be there to comfort her and win her back. I love Emma, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her or what I did. I know that I can't be forgiven, and this will never be forgotten. But now that the truth is out, I pray that it's enough to show that I never meant to take Emma's life. He continues to claim that he was only trying to scare Emma, which, even if it's true, which isn't likely, but even if it is, it's not an excuse for taking her life. It was tough to listen to, especially since it followed a statement by Emma's father, Mark Walker. There aren't even enough words to express the grief and the hole in my heart. There will be no more family vacations with her, no new memories to cherish. I'll never see her graduate high school, go to college, get married, walk down the aisle to the real man she'd have chosen, to have children and a family of her own, to tell my grandchildren stories of their mom as a child. I'll never hear her voice again. William Riley Gall was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 51 years. By then, he will be 71 years old. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again.